I want to say, too, if there's, we want to be a church that really supports people and prays for people. So if there's any, ever any time when you want somebody to gather around you and pray for you, uh, you, can, you can come up to the altars, especially after this sermon, after the service. Somebody will pray for you. Track down Alan. Uh, did I, I think I, Jeannie, will you stand up? And Jeannie, Jeannie's put, helped put together a prayer room for us. So if you want somebody specifically to pray for you, uh, track down me, Alan, Jeannie, or a friend that you have. We, again, we have a nice prayer room we can go to. There's all kinds of opportunities. But this is a place where you don't have to be alone, where you can feel seen. And one of the things that I want to say, again, about the inviting a person, we really want to be a place where if that one person comes in or if somebody in your family, a loved one, that you can expect that when they come through the doors at one of our events, one of our services, that we will be glad to see them. That's what we want to be able to do as a church family. Anybody in your family, you don't have to worry about if they come, we will be glad to see them and we will embrace people with open arms. So that's one of the things that we want to do because we need to partner to do this together. And being glad to see people, welcoming people, is one of the ways that, that we can really live out the mission of Jesus. So inviting people... And then we want, when people are invited and actually come, we want to be a people who come in and, and make whoever you invite, whoever you bring, feel very welcome. Sound good? Well, we're going to keep working on this this whole year. So, does anybody remember the, the year 2020? Was that a good year? It has a reputation, doesn't it? Well, when we go back, it's 2024, which sounds a lot different than 2020. But one of my memories from 2020 is that people, a few people on Facebook would pass along this video. And we're going to try to play this video because it, it, it reminds me of 2020 during the shutdown. So let's see if this works. <laughs> All right. Now, I apologize for the grainy quality of that video, but I think some of us kind of thought that in those days where it was uh, everything was shut down and we were at home by ourselves and hadn't seen anybody for a long time. Once we're able to get back to church or in mass groups of people, we're going to be so excited. Now, it didn't exactly turn out like that. <laughs> the shutdown ended more gradually than that. And then, you know, like it, it seemed like that was more of an idea, like, once we're allowed to go hang out again and have fellowship, I'm going to be a huge extrovert and always around people, and I just can't wait to end that. So that didn't exactly happen, but it would be cool if it did. And if anybody wants to do some cartwheels in here afterwards, just being so excited, we'll applaud you. That'll be fun. Um, anyway, so the, the, the main thing that I heard when people talked about the end of the year in 2020, if we can go back a few years ago, was good riddance. 
Do you remember that? Good riddance. And, and kind of one of the general thoughts was that once we just get through 2020, once we just get from, through COVID and the shutdowns, once we just get over this, then it's going to be nothing but blue skies. We just got to get through this storm. Now, it, it didn't exactly happen like that because we realized that even after we kind of came out where the, the pandemic's not a huge thing anymore, that it just, life didn't just get all sunny <laughs> and everything wasn't perfect after we got back to each other. So back that year, we did this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the idea is looking at the storm. And so we're going to do that this year. Because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching that he's really well known for. It's just this great block of teaching that we're going to be looking at in detail this year. And we're going to start right now with the end. In the end, Jesus gives this illustration. And it's a storm. There are two different types of people. Two people that build houses. Now, one of the house in the storm withstands it. It survives the storm. It makes it out on the other side. The other house doesn't make it. The storm comes and the house is destroyed. And the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of that build up until that final teaching where Jesus kind of indicates that some people will be able to withstand storms. Some people may not. The way that they live, the way that they maybe they build a house. Well, the way that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like building the scaffolding. It's like building the structure. It's like these are the, this is the different way where you can, you can have a kind of life that even when it storms, because the storm will come, if, you're, if it's not storming right now, it's going to come at some point. That's one of the things we know about life. The storm will come. Jesus indicated that there's a, there way, there's a way we can live where we'll be able to withstand some of the storms and, and thrive. So we're going to look at that scaffolding that Jesus gave us because the, the vision is thriving or, or surviving, um, being able to withstand, have perseverance. And so we're going to do a lot of the prep work on looking in detail about what Jesus said is the way, the way to build our lives so that we have hope that once those inevitable storms come, that we'll be able to make it out on the other side. Um, so Jesus seemed to indicate among his audience that there were some that lived in a way that was wise, the way that they were building their lives, and some that lived in a way that was foolish. Now, I know that's, that's kind of dualistic there, kind of the, the two poles there, but wherever we are in kind of that spectrum, that there's kind of a spectrum of, am I building my life in a way that is wise, or am I building my life in a way that is foolish, that we can all learn something from the way. And my job is not to judge anybody and say, you're, you're building in a way that's foolish, you're building in a way that's wise. But my job, the, the job of pastors, is to equip God's people for works of service. It's to kind of point out these things that Jesus taught, to teach what he taught so that we can obey it. And then all of the rest of it's just kind of up to us. But it's not the judging part. And Jesus is real clear in the way that my, my role is not to judge. Because if I judge other, somebody else, I'm going to get judged in the same way that I use. But to, to lift up Jesus' words and uh, the way that he said to live and to see 
to see what happens with that, to encourage people to apply these words and to be equipped for the works of service that God calls us to. Um, If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, we want you to know that we are so grateful to have you with us. Again, we're not here to judge you. We hope that something that you experience, we do obviously have the agenda. We point to Jesus because we believe that following Jesus is the way to life. And it, it makes you it makes you better at life. It makes your life better in some way, in some great way. Uh, but even if even if not, we want you to know that we're so grateful to have you here. You're invited to belong with us, and uh, we hope that something today is a blessing to you. So, having said that, now let's get into the Sermon on the Mount, shall we? We excited? Or is it just me? I'm excited. I want to get into this. So we're going to start by reading kind of a large section. This is the first section of the Sermon on the Mount. We usually call these the Beatitudes. And so we're going to read through this slowly and just kind of notice what kind of people that Jesus said are blessed. Because it's a little bit odd in some ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called Children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, these are curious statements. Some of them maybe make a little bit of sense. Others are confusing. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are insulted. And as we dive into this part of the Sermon on the Mount today, because this is where we're going to stay, really. The other scripture we're looking at is just to try to help us maybe understand or internalize some of this first part. And this is not exhaustive in looking at what the Beatitudes mean. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us and, and points out something that maybe we can do to, to live in a way that is, is good, that leads to life. So sometimes to, to really learn something about something, it can be helpful to look at the opposite. And Jesus gave kind of a, a statement that were, uh, maybe we'd say the opposite of the, the Beatitudes. He did a series where he would say, woe to you instead of blessed are you or blessed are. So we're going to switch it up. This is a little bit different place in Matthew. But in Matthew 23, Jesus gives a series of woe to you statements. And we're not going to read them all. If you want to read them, Matthew 23, I highly recommend it. They can be really helpful. And before we get in to look at any of the woes that Jesus gives, I want to point out the context of this. Jesus gave the woes to people who were the Pharisees and teachers of the law. In other words, he gave the woes to people like me. There there were people who had a similar job that I do, 
we're talking about the scriptures and what they, they mean. These people were looking at the, the Hebrew scriptures or what we'd call the Old Testament, but they were doing a very similar thing to what I do. And Jesus had some words of woe to them. So it is under, uh, important that we understand that context, but looking at these can be helpful to all of us because it's not just people like me who are, who are uh, vulnerable to these kind of temptations or a woeful way of living. Matthew 23, 3, Jesus pointed out in the woes, they do not do, do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Last Sunday when uh, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Emily and I all sat up and sat up here and talked, one of the things that Pastor Brandon said was he talked about Jesus and how Jesus preached what he practiced. Now, I thought that was a fantastic observation. That Jesus wasn't just preaching something and then trying to practice it, but he was doing something. He was practicing something and then preaching it, which is uh, like a wow kind of a moment for me. Like I had never thought of it like that. And that's really helpful to think about how Jesus was talking about uh, just how he lived. And when I look at my life, I definitely have a lot more common in common with the Pharisees than Jesus. Because there are things that when I'm preaching, I'm kind of preaching it myself. If you ever notice about like a target or wonder, it's usually like trying to talk to my own self. And, and I'm going to tell you about one reason, like, I, why I'm not in there. So last year we did this bless thing. And on Labor Day weekend, we had this idea of going out and trying to bless people by doing a few work projects. Now, there was one work project that stayed here, and they made a mix of uh, cookies, a mix for co- a dry mix. And the idea was that some of those were made to give to neighbors around here. And then some, we were supposed to take them home and make some cookies for our neighbor. So I took them home, and I had a good intention. <laughs> I was going to make some cookies for a neighbor. I even knew the one, because the one who, who like, has a lot of interactions with me, I'm like, I'm going to make cookies for that neighbor. And that mix sat on my shelf September, October, November, December, and I did nothing. Now, I will say that in January, I did it. It finally got to me, and I made it. It was still good, believe it or not. I tested it. I didn't get sick. I tested the cookies. They were good. And, and so I, I did it. But I was thinking, man, like I was trying to maybe practice what I preach, but how much better? And, and so I was thinking, okay, now I'm preaching what I practice, because I actually did it, and it, I recommend it. Like finding ways to bless neighbors is really important, and God bless you guys who've done this. Um, but I'm not as good at it. And, and I, need to, I need to be able to preach better because I need to be able to practice better. So hopefully I'll, I'll do better than a four-month lag period next time around. Uh, but we can work on that together. So we're going to move along here. What else did Jesus say is a problem? Everything they do is done for people to see. Did I make Nate cookies for my neighbor just so I could tell you about it? Gosh, I hope not. That'd be pretty, pretty wicked as a sermon illustration, was it? No, I don't think that I did. I don't think that was my motive. But it is a great challenge that we have. Like, are we doing things just for other people to see? Just for other people to, to think well of us? Uh, let's 
Here's some more. They love the place of honor and the most important seats. They love to be greeted with respect. Jesus said of these woeful people, you clean the outside of your life, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. That's troubling. John Wesley set up these different band groups and he had them go through 21 accountability questions every day. Can you imagine? Well, I'm not going to go over all 21, but number one is this. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? And that is a great question. (laughs) Do I ever try to look better than what I really am? And I I don't think this is a unique struggle that I have. I think that this is a a good question for human beings. Um, So hypocrite. He used the term hypocrite. What What is the word hypocrite? Jesus used it too. It's a compound word that it means an interpreter from underneath. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but context, Greek actors would wear a mask. And they would have different masks for the roles that they would play. And then they would interpret it from underneath, from behind what their role was. So it was another, another way that we could say hypocrite is actor. Somebody who's playing a role. Playing a role. And Jesus called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He called them children of hell. He called them snakes and fools. Another way that we could say this is that Jesus was confronting some of the teachers of the law for caring more about their reputation than their character, that those are different. Now, I was thinking about difference between reputation and character, who people think we are and who we really are deep down inside. And that can be tricky, and I almost had, because we never want to pick on, we never want to badmouth anybody, celebrities, you know, even if they're famous, maybe if they're from way in the past, we can. And I almost used one here of somebody who had a reputation and then people discovered character and everything changed. And I'm not going to use that one right now. Instead, I'm going to go to the world of fiction. Jane Austen and her classic book, Pride and Prejudice. Any fans of that one here? A few. Some of you maybe hate it. That's okay. But but in this story, Jane, not Jane, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bennett, they're these two guys One of them, she thinks, is this great guy. He has this great reputation in the community. The other guy, she thinks, is a dog. She hates him. He has a terrible reputation. What she ends up realizing is that she had a problem and that their reputations were flipped from their character. And one of of Elizabeth's statements was, one guy has got all the goodness and the other the appearance of it. Reputation is tricky. And, and as, we, as we wrestle with what it's saying, and Jesus at least clearly warning us not to, not to just go all in on our reputation at the expense of our character, there's something that Jesus says in the, the book of Revelation where he's confronting some churches. And he's really pointed to a church in Sardis. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Reputation might fool the whole world. It can fool everybody else, but it doesn't fool God. Like there is one who sees, who sees past the facades, 
ask the master, what is real? Jesus, in contrast, in the Sermon on the, the Mount, he blessed those who are insulted. In other words, people who might have a worse reputation than their character. He blessed those who are slandered. So he seemed to acknowledge that there's some people who are slandered and are going to have a, re- a worse reputation than they really deserve. And when he was giving his woes, he was woeing people who had a better reputation, who looked better on the outside than they really were on the inside. Now, I don't think that Jesus was saying that reputation doesn't matter at all and that we shouldn't care about it. But I do think his teachings warn us that reputations might be false and not to put too much stock in reputation. Um, If your reputation's never been worse than it is right now, maybe you can be comforted a little bit. Maybe it's not as bad as, as you think it is. Reputations might be false. They might be too important to us. And it's possible that true character isn't important enough. Jesus would go on in the Sermon on the Mount to warn. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. That's one of the teachings in the way that we build our lives. Again, not that reputation doesn't matter and that we shouldn't care about our reputation. But we need to to really think about, are we creating a false impression? Are we more about impression and reputation management than, than we are with the reality of life and what God is doing in our lives? Um, this is, following the way of Jesus isn't always the best way to build a brand. It's not always the best way to build a reputation. But it is the way to build a life. It is a way to build soul. It is a way to build that soul of who we really are, to build character. The Sermon on the Mount and the way that it's described gives us practical ways, blessed ways that we can follow. As we close out this message, I want to look at some some really powerful words that are given to us from the Apostle Paul. Now, the King James Version And Philippians 2 gives us this really cool uh, expression about Jesus. It says he was of no reputation. So when we we go through this here as we we close out, I want to pause there and do the King James Version too. And just think about what this means. So our, our hope is that as we prayerfully listen to this, that we just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. And maybe there's something practical in this, either in the the Beatitudes or in these words from Philippians that really inspires us to follow or something practical that we can do. So let's pay attention to what the Spirit of God is speaking to us through these words. And I'm going to invite the prayer team or the worship team to come on up here and get prepared as we close out here. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself of no reputation. Can you imagine if we follow Jesus in this way? If a bunch of the people gathering in a church follow Jesus in this way, what it would be like? Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father.